Welcome to the Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. Impacts me in a really deep way. So open up in your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 7. Lord, I ask as we look at your word um, just for a few moments this morning, God, that you would continue to speak, that your voice would continue to thunder, that um, our lives would continue to be changed. Lord, I ask that as we, we go from this place today that you would um, have deposited even one key, one token that would have changed our lives. Lord, I ask that verses that we're going to look at today from your holy scriptures, God, will become um, obsessive to us, that we would be many women who obsess over the word of God, who spend long, loving hours meditating upon these pages. Well, that more than any other app or um, show or product that we consume, God, that we would consume your word more than anything else, God, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. So 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, let's just read it and then we'll, we'll dive in here. This is Paul talking to the church at Corinth. He says, we have this treasure in our earthen vessels to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Verse 8, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Verse 10 and 11 are, are kind of trippy. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are, so it's almost like the, the scribe, or I'm not sure if this was you know, transcribed by some dude as Paul's talking. I just imagine it's like, uh, wait, Paul, what, wait, what'd you say? And verse 11 is like Paul saying it again. He, verse 11 is pretty much verbatim of verse 10, but let's read it. Verse 11, for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. Verse 12, so then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Let's jump down to verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. That's the river of God we're going to talk about. For our light, I love this, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs any glory you could experience from your TikTok or Instagram or business being successful in this age. Um, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs every other glory. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. That's not a popular message in 2021. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. There's so much in this, in this little passage of Scripture. I'm going to try and pull out a couple of truths, but... That alone, just mark that in your Bible and note to self, get lost in that for like 25 years. There's so much there that the Lord is speaking. Let's go back to verse 7. Um, so Paul starts off this little this, uh, passage of Scripture. We have this treasure in our earthen vessel. And it's, it's, there's so much there. I could do a whole message just on that little phrase. 
um, basically what Paul is saying is, um, so you are the earthen vessel, or your version may say the jar of clay, right? That is your body, right? So just kind of touch your shoulder. This is your jar of clay. This, this is it. And Paul says, if you are born again, you have treasure inside that jar of clay, right? So it's pretty simple, pretty glorious. Again, we could talk about this and meditate on this for a lifetime. Christ in you, the only hope of glory, is a beautiful reality. The very seed of God, the Bible says, is inside of there. Jesus said, it's better if I go away, which if I was one of his disciples, I'd have a really hard time with that. It's better if I go away. Why? Because I'm going to send you treasure, third person of the Trinity, who is God himself. He's going to dwell inside of there. and He'll be with you always. Beautiful reality. So the river, that's the river, right? There's a river flowing inside of you. I sang about it earlier, and I, I connect this reality because from God's throne in heaven, there's a river, and then the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. It says from your innermost being will flow, right? So the river is inside of your earthen vessel. And it's almost like I wish Paul had stopped talking right there. I would have been like, great, river of God's in me, awesome. Let's just put a bow on it and go home. But unfortunately, he keeps talking. <laughs> Not unfortunately. But he keeps talking. And it's almost like he says, I'm going to teach you how to care for your river at a really deep level. I'm going to teach you how to always have the channels flowing and no dams get in the way of your river flowing in the next couple of verses. And it gets a little bit intense. Paul doesn't hold any, anything back. He goes for it. So he says, you have this treasure in your earthen vessel. Here it is. To show that this all-surpassing power is of God and not of us. Also known as, or you could say it this way, Paul's like, God has deposited himself inside of you. You are going to do miracles, signs, and wonders and see your city transformed. But God is going to orchestrate your life. At the end of the day, you will have this testimony. It is of God not of Justin Rizzo Ministries Incorporated. You have this treasure in your earthen vessel to show this all-surpassing power is of God, not of us. And even that's like, oh, yeah, totally, yeah, I'm, I'm a humble person, right? But Paul's like, yeah, let me keep talking. So Paul, in the next uh, two verses, gives these four paradoxes of the kingdom. Just briefly look at them. He's like, let me give you some examples of how this happens in your life. He's like, you're going to feel hard-pressed. But then the promise, but God will never allow you to be crushed because he wants your river to flow. Second paradox of the kingdom, he's like, you're going to feel perplexed at times in your life, Justin. And it, it brings me comfort because Paul wrote like half the New Testament, and he felt perplexed in his life. That brings me comfort because I'm, who, who in here has ever been perplexed? God, what in the world are you doing why is it taking 25 years to fulfill the prophecy I got when I was 12? I should be like, you know, whatever. He says, you're going to be perplexed at times in your life, but God will never allow you to enter into despair. He says, you're going to be persecuted, but you will never be abandoned by God. And you'll be struck down, but the Lord will never allow you to be destroyed. It's almost as if God has this foolproof system to have that treasure, the river, always flowing he says, we're not going to let any dams flow. I'm going to bring pressure just enough, and then we're going we're gonna to get it out. I'm going to bring this to keep you humble. I'm going to do this. And I want to make clear, because sometimes 
we can get a little wonky in our theology. And people are like, well, I'm sick. I have cancer. This person died. Does that mean God's doing that to keep my river flowing? No. No, 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 no. We have to look at the whole of Scripture. I believe, to explain it this way, there's three primary ways that these pressures will happen in our life. You'll feel perplexed or struck down, right? There's three primary ways that the Bible talks about. One is the attack of Satan, okay? And we don't focus on that. I love even what you said earlier. Like, we need to focus more on the positive, I think, as opposed to, I rebuke, I rebuke, I rebuke. Um, but Satan does seek to kill you and devour you like a roaring lion. He's not, he doesn't take days off. He doesn't take weekends off. He is seeking to destroy you. So that's one area of pressure. It's like, I feel hard pressed today. Well, maybe Satan's breathing lies. The Bible says that he throws darts at you, but thank God it talk, The Bible also says that the Lord has arrows that he shoots. I'll take a flaming arrow of God and I'll extinguish the dart of Satan, right? So Satan does attack you, and only you can figure out and with the Holy Spirit, like, well, is this attack? Or like, you know, and don't even take time. Just press forward and keep things flowing, right? There's the attack of Satan. There is the discipline of the Father. Not a popular message in 2021 at all, but the Bible says that God disciplines those that he loves. If you're experiencing the discipline of God, which I have in my life, I've been a part of ministries that have experienced the discipline of God. You embrace that thing. You embrace that thing. And you do whatever he tells you to do. You repent. You do this. You do that. Whatever it is. But when God disciplines, pay attention. Because he loves you. It's all unto you. The river always flowing. The discipline of the Father. And the third one is man's foolishness. Justin's foolishness. If I have a problem with drinking and I'm on the way home from church or work, whoever it is, and I happen to pull into my favorite bar and drink and have to Uber home, I don't think that's Satan, though he may have breathed you to start. I don't think that's God disciplining me. I think I made a foolish choice that is causing me to be now given back into this addiction, right? So there's three primary ways that you're going to feel hard-pressed, you're going to feel perplexed, you're going to feel struck down in your life. But the Lord says, I'm with you through it all. And he's going to give us the remedy here of how to respond in the midst of those areas, no matter the way that it comes, okay? So verse 10, he keeps talking. And again, it's like, okay, even with those four paradoxes, let's just leave it at that. I'll try to be good, right? He's like, well, we're going to keep talking. So verse 10 and 11 say the exact same thing verbatim. He says, we always carry around in our earthen vessel, our jar of clay, the death of Jesus. It's like, wait, what are you talking about? So that, there's a purpose, the river to flow, the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Verse 11, same exact thing. For we who are alive are always, that word always troubles me. He says it in both verses, 10 and 11. You're always going to be embracing the dying of Jesus. The scribe's like, yeah, say it again, Paul. You're always going to be embracing the dying of Jesus. Yeah, I don't think people are going to like that in Corinth. That's not really my, my best life now. Like, what are you talking about? You're always going to be embracing the dying of the Lord Jesus. There's a purpose so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in your mortal body, in your jar of clay. There's a purpose here. So let's take a second and look at 
what in the world, the dying of the Lord Jesus that you and I are supposedly always going to be embracing, what in the world is that? Well, I want to say really clearly that I don't think it means that you and I are going to travel to Israel and walk a road with a cross and then get up on the cross, be nailed to it and have our, our blood shed and then go in a tomb and, you know, all that kind of stuff. We know once and for all that was our sin was atoned for. God became man, perfection, died on behalf of us so we don't have to walk that road. So dying of the Lord Jesus doesn't mean hopping on a cross in that way. And I want to just take you guys on a journey just for a second here, if you could. Put even the, the four Gospels, which obviously is the primary place that Jesus has talked about, put those out of your mind just for a moment. Because I believe what Paul is saying here and what he's getting at is the dying of the Lord Jesus isn't so much what happened at the cross. I believe the dying of the Lord Jesus is the day-to-day, catch this here, the dying of the Lord Jesus is the day-to-day life that Jesus lived as a man here on this rock. Did you know that Jesus experienced time the same way you and I are experiencing it? That when Jesus turned 12 and things started to get a little bit awkward with things changing in his body, he didn't have a supernatural fast-forward button to skip puberty. He experienced everything the same way you and I experience it. Crazy verse, Luke 2.52. Jot that one down. Let it mess with you. Luke 2.52. It says that Jesus grew, catch this, in wisdom, stature, and favor. Now, if it was just with man... Yeah, that makes sense because men are dumb and they have to understand how wise and awesome God is. No, it says Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and with man. What do you do with that? Jesus was perfected through things that he suffered. Jesus was tempted in every way, the book of Hebrews tells us, yet without sin. Jesus experienced life on this earth the same way you and I were experiencing it. So imagine eight-year-old Jesus. Isn't eight-year-old pure Jewish blood, God in the flesh, worthy to be crucified? Just take care of an eight-year-old and just get us all free. Wouldn't the 18-year-old Jewish blood, I mean, in Jewish culture, you're like a man as 18-year-old. Like, just kill him. Like, let's get it over with. Like, just, why did he wait until he was 30 years old? to be crucified. I believe it's because the Lord doesn't just tell us a bunch of stuff to do. Well, that's what happened in the law, even. He gave all these rules and regulations. And side note, the law was never attainable by man. The point of the law was to show men, you cannot do it on your own. Hello. Like, there's no way you can follow all this stuff. So then Jesus comes, he says, it's by grace through faith that you have been saved. Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit who see they cannot do all this stuff. That one's is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus experienced life the same way that you and I experienced it. And he made decisions every single day of dying to himself, the death of Jesus, so that life will be manifested in his mortal body. The same way that you and I are called 
to experience life, that treasure, the river flowing inside of us, Jesus says, I didn't just tell you the roadmap, I lived it. I lived the roadmap. And I imagine this, this conversation, this is not in the gospel, so don't go looking for it, but I imagine Jesus getting up as an eight-year-old kid, kneeling down beside his mat in the house that he lived on, kneeling down beside his mat in the morning and saying, Father, is today the day that I fulfill the purpose for which I came to this earth and shed my blood for the sins of all men? And the father gently, kindly responds back to him, no, son, today's not the day. What do I do? It's another day to serve your mom and dad, your brothers and sisters. It's another day to go about everything that you're doing. And he gets up, his little eight-year-old kid, and has breakfast. 16-year-old kid gets up beside his mat. Father, it's another day, 365. It's another day. Is, is today the day that I fulfill the purpose for which I came? No, son, today, today's not the day. 28-year-old Jesus, like you're a, you are a man, like hello. No, son, today's not the day. I thought at least when I turned 21, like things would get real. I mean, I've been down here for a long time. Jesus made decisions, and he asks us to make decisions every single day to have the river flow and have the dams never come into place, into being. We have a constant river flowing. And I imagine another conversation, another um, fictitious piece. I'm a storyteller. I love this type of stuff. That eight-year-old Jesus, there's a, a neighbor who lives across the street. She's an elderly woman. And, you know, imagine with me the, the streets of Nazareth. Like, let's say the, the street between Jesus' house is there by those pillars. And then this old woman's right here in her window overlooking her little basin of water is right here. And she's, like, washing stuff in the morning, looking out through the window. And Jesus comes out to start his work for the day. And she's like, you know what? Like, that, that kid, like, he's only eight, but, you know, he's just got, like, a lot of potential. Like, he does really skillful work. I see his brothers over there just kind of dinking around playing. He's, like, focused. And he, like... It is a little shady how he came here to Nazareth. Like, you know, I think there was some weirdness with how he was pregnated. But he's got a lot. So she calls him over. She says, hey, hey, Jesus, come here. And she you know, walks out her door, and a little eight-year-old kid runs over. And she's like, hey, she's like, you know, you have a lot of potential. You know, like, I've been watching your work, and I think you're going to go. You might actually give Nazareth a good name by things that you do as opposed to having a bad name. And he's just like, eight, looking up, you know, whatever. He goes off and plays. 20-year-old Jesus, same old woman, working in her, wa- her wash basin. Jesus comes out across the street. And again, he's like a man. I mean, Jews aren't that tall typically, so let's say he's, you know, maybe five, five, seven, whatever. And she's like, hey, hey, Jesus, you know, come here. Hey, uh, so I saw your brother got married there last year, and he's added on his house to the back of your family's house, and he's got a good girl. I like her. It's good. Have you, like, thought about dating anybody, or do you like women? Like, what's, what's going on here? I love your work. I love everything you're doing, but, like, have you, have you pursued anything else besides, like, Nazareth? Because we're not necessarily the best name in the land of Israel. And he just kind of, like, you know, maybe shrugs his shoulders and nods, whatever. So allow me to go one more step with my story. 29 years old. If you're in this room and you're 29 and you're living at home, you're probably smart. (laughs) 
And if your parents are gracious, then you're really smart. Because as, as, as long as you're working and saving up money, okay? As long as you have somewhere you're going. But if you're 29, especially in that culture, again, they married young in that culture. They like, like I said, they added out a room to the back of the house. They took over the family business, whatever, right? You're 29 years old. Same old woman. She's in her 80s now. She's about to die. And she's like, Jesus. And she's got a little bit of a, a nasty tone. And she calls Jesus across the street, the dusty roads of Nazareth. And she has a tone. She's like, what in the world are you doing with your life? I've seen people from this town with less talent than you have in your little pinky finger do better things than you. You had potential to be in religion, to start businesses, to actually go somewhere, to move to Jerusalem. What are you doing with your life. And I imagine this 29-year-old Jesus who's grown in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man, look at this beautiful woman's eyeballs that Jesus himself fashioned and formed. And he says, woman, you are only looking at the external temporal things. You have no idea what I've built inside of my heart with my father. And the woman's just like, okay. And of course, we all know the story. One year later, he talked about it earlier, Pastor George. One year later, Jesus would wake up next to his mat, says, Father, is today the day that I begin the purpose for which I came to this earth? And the father says, yes. And Jesus would make his way to the Jordan River. We all know the story. He comes up out of the water, and the audible voice of heaven declares, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And Pastor George said it earlier, but I imagine this woman on the banks of the Jordan hearing the audible voice, and she's like, I know that kid. He's done nothing. How does he get heavenly affirmation and I have nothing? He's done nothing. His TikTok's horrible. His Instagram is an epic failure, right? He's one of those not on social media people, right? What is Jesus asking you in your life today to do, to pursue? If I want to say this clearly to you, because he, he may be saying to you, shoot for the stars and win a Grammy, win an Emmy, win an Academy Award, have a billion-dollar business, and that's amazing. But here's the reality. If you are, to the best of your ability, walking in obedience to what he's called you to do, heaven says you're successful. That is it, period, period. The metrics of success, guys, that we have in 2021, and it's only getting more and more intense and more and more grotesque if you have the wrong mindset, the, the definition of success we have is based upon external things only. No one will look at you and say, Oh my God, you're like so successful. You're like so close to Jesus. That's awesome. No one's going to do that. No one's going to do that. They'll enjoy maybe the fruit of your labor through your song or through your sermon, which that's, that's beautiful. I mean, Paul talks about it um, in verse 12, the very next verse. He says, death is at work in us, but life is at work in y'all, the Corinth, the Corinth people. What is he saying? 
I'll give a great example. I hop in Kansas City 24-7 for 22 years. People walk into the back of that sanctuary that seats 700 people. There's a team up there of 15 young people who've been doing it for decades. And that person walks in the back of the room and they say, oh, I just feel the glory of God. And it's, it's beautiful. They come up to me. They talk to me in the hallway or whatever. And they're like, oh, Justin, during your set, I just walked in. I'm from Omaha, Nebraska, here for the weekend. And, and God just you know, slandered me with his glory. It was awesome. Amazing three days. I'm like, that's, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Life is at work in them. But they have no idea. Well, they do, but you get it. They have no idea the death that that team has gone through, the death to self that preachers go through to mine the scriptures, the time it takes in Logos Bible software to get something to say, to commune with Jesus. Same thing for a businessman, multi-million dollar business. You've gone through hell, but you've remained faithful to Jesus, and now people are reaping the rewards of everything you've done in your business. It's not just a ministry thing, but the Bible actually says it like, death is at work in us so that life can be worked in you. There's a whole theology for it. It's beautiful. Let the river flow through your being. So when we say, Jesus, I want to be like you. Who's ever prayed that prayer? Jesus, I want to be like you. That's pretty common Christianese prayer. You don't even have to be charismatic. Jesus, I want to be like you. Mostly what I'm thinking about is the four Gospels, and specifically the Gospel stories with signs and wonders, miracles, and power-packed ministry. That's mostly what I'm referring to. You understand that, right? No. Jesus says, you want to be like me? Awesome. I did nothing for 30 years. Are, are you still in? Well, I mean, it's like 2021. Like, Instagram's very relevant in 2021. To be an influencer, you have to, so I, I don't think so. No, I'm not in. What is this young generation being taught? What are we teaching them? Guys, 90%, catch this. If you haven't been paying attention, start now. 90% of Jesus' life, catch this, was spent being completely anonymous to anyone. 90%. He only lived 33 years. 30 years, he did a whole lot of nothing that anyone would give an accolade about. Because it says the water into wine was his first miracle. I mean, maybe Mary knows something we don't know. Are we signed up? Is our mental understanding more sucked into the spirit of the age and success and metrics and the size and all these different things? Or are we focused on the biblical life where Jesus says, if you try and save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, I saw something on, on uh, social media today of a young man, he's 25 years old, gave a 13-minute video of why he has been off social media for two years and why he's now permanently deleting it. I agreed with probably 80% of what he said, 20%, I was like, okay, I could either take or leave that, whatever. And I also, like, I have a, a worship leader coaching business. I run a production company and post, like, so I'm not saying social media is bad, because social media can be used for good. Have you guys heard of the Jesus Clubs? If not, check them out. It's a, a hashtag with hundreds of millions of people all over the, uh, the, the world, really, of Brian Barcelona. He's at Upper Room Dallas. He has a desire to see uh, high school campuses filled with the glory of God. And the Jesus Club's hashtag on, on uh, TikTok is like blowing up, people sharing testimonies of Jesus and revival happening in high schools. Good things can happen. So I'm not just saying, like, just take yourself out of the world. But you have to have 
your brain on straight. You have to have this feeding your brain more than all of that. Because it's so easy to get wonky. It's so easy for our theology and our methodologies of success to come from your Facebook or your TikTok, Instagram feed, and that's not true. This is the only metric. John Piper said it well. He said, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok will be the sure sign that at the end of uh, the day, when they're standing before Jesus, people did not um, miss their time with him because of a lack of time. Because they spent so much time on these apps. It's like, well, God, I just didn't have time. I had to feed my family. And da, 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 da. But what did you do with all the other time? Well, you know, like I needed to like, it's community. And, da, 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 da. and Jesus is like, I want you. I want you. And to end this here in, in verse 16 through the end of the chapter, he says it so beautifully. You don't need a theology book or Logos Bible software to figure this out. It's, it's main and plain. The way to not lose heart Guys, the way to keep the river flowing, Paul says it. Even if you're outwardly wasting away, are you being renewed inwardly? Not decade by decade, day by day. The same way Jesus, I believe, was renewed day by day. That's the call for us. Verse 17, for our light and momentary troubles. And again, you have to think of the author. Paul's been through a lot. I've had some trials in my life. I'm sure, you, I'm sure people in this room have had more trials than me. But for Paul to say being shipwrecked, beaten with rods, imprisoned, all these things is light and momentary, like, that's not really American Christianity, Paul. Like, that's not how, you know, light and momentary for us is like, oh, my God, this guy cut me off at the stop sign. You know, it's like, I'm afflicted. Or even what we've seen, even what we've seen in this past two years, guys, using biblical methodology to look at what's really going on. How are we really supposed to live our lives? We're supposed to live our lives not for what we can see, but for what is unseen. Now again, to give context, I believe in the seven mountains. I think more so these last two years than ever. I've considered politics these last two years because it's been so hellacious, but I don't think that's my calling, but I think some people should be in the political realm as Christians. I don't think we should just, again, run away as Christians. So hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying, hey, don't be in arts entertainment, don't be in politics, don't be in the school systems. I think all the more Christians who are smart and trained and biblical need to be in those realms. And for years we've run scared from those things to say, oh, we're just gonna love Jesus over here and kind of have our, no. He's like, rise up, but rise up with the correct biblical mindset right? So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. My call for us today is just that. The river of God is unseen. I can't see it. I feel it at times. But the river of God, the Holy Spirit, Christ inside of you, you can't see him. That'd be weird if you could. (laughs) A little dancing man in there or something. You know, but fix our eyes not on what is seen because that's temporary and fading. So my question to you today is how often are you fixing your eyes on what is unseen? How often are you fixing your eyes not on what you can see but on what is unseen? And to take this even one step further as I, as I close this out, 
if, if I was to tell you that in, we're going to lock all these doors, so don't anyone freak out. If I was to tell you that we're going to lock all these doors and windows for the next 70 years and you can't go anywhere, you're going to find happiness here. But then I promise you, I promise, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that we'll open the doors in 70 years and then you'll have a million years plus out there would you care, you'd probably care about what's happening in here because 70 years is a long time. But would you also care a whole lot about my promise of millions and millions in eternity out there? You'd probably care, hopefully, at least a little bit. And you want to know, let's see, I can't really see eternity or an eternal city. Or I can't really picture a million years from now. I don't, I'm a Greek. I need, to, I need concrete things. You know, like Jews are more like, oh, mysteries, right? Or Greek mindset is very like, one plus one must equal two. If I don't understand God, then God can't be real. And a Jew's like, um, that's the mystery. God is mysterious. If you can understand everything about him, is he much of a God? But how often are we thinking about eternity and what's even beyond this life? We could do whole sermon series on rewards in the age to come, that your yes to saying no to lust now gives you rewards 100,000 years from now. Lord, I ask that you would help us, God, to live for the unseen or to focus on removing everything that would seek to stop or prohibit that river from flowing. Lord, I ask for people in this room this morning that are, are feeling a, um, a tongue or a pull to bitterness or uh, contention against a brother or a sister. Maybe that's even lasted for, for years, maybe even decades. And the Lord is, is pulling at that and he's saying, I want the river to flow. You've been hard pressed because of what this brother or sister did to you. But I'm asking you this morning to release it, to break down that dam, that nothing would hinder, that the river would rush and gush and flow again from your innermost being that nothing would hinder. Lord, I ask where there's, there's offense or jealousy or envy right now, even of, of looking at other people and coveting what they have. God, I ask for a, a beautiful satisfaction in Christ to come. Lord, I ask for a, a greater um, ability, God, to live our story and be joyous and happy in our story. Let's just wait on the Lord just for a moment. God, we want you more than anything. Christ in me, the only, the only hope of glory. Christ in me. The very seed of God. God, you said it was better if you went away because you would send the helper. So God, I ask that the helper would help us today. Each and every person in the sound of my voice, I just want to encourage you to whisper this prayer to the Lord. Say it super quiet. It's between you and him. No one needs to hear you. You might have some things in your brain right now that you're aware of the Lord's tugging at. You may have nothing. You may be like, what did that guy just talk about for 40 minutes? I wish he would stop. Just give me 30 seconds here and just say this to the Lord. Holy Spirit, help me. Help me. You are my helper. 
I can't even figure out my own soul. My therapist is helping, but I can't even figure out my own soul. Holy Spirit, help me. God, I want to walk in the fullness of everything that you've ordained. Help me in obedience. Someone pray that if that resonates. Help me in obedience. Help me in obedience. I feel the Lord speaking to businessmen and women in this room today, entrepreneurs, um, serial entrepreneurs, where you build something, you, it gets successful, and you sell it, and you start something new. You're a serial entrepreneur. I believe the Lord wants to uh, increase the anointing upon your life. And I see the wealth of the wicked being stripped and taken away into the hands of the righteous because he's jealous for his name. I see the wealth of the wicked being stripped and taken away into the hands of the righteous because he is jealous for his name. If you're a businessman or woman in this room today, I just want to invite you to stand really quickly here. If you're a businessman, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're an inventor, if you have ideas, if you're not sure, just stand up because I want to release something and invite you to, to say yes to this. The wealth of the wicked come into my hands. Just say that. Let the wealth of the wicked come into my hands. Lord, you are jealous for righteousness. You are jealous for righteousness. And Lord, I commit through my wealth, God, to establish righteousness here on this earth. God, let me be a conduit. Let me be a conduit where wealth would come through my hands and I would correctly administer it, God, to see millions and hundreds of millions of people saved and changed. Lord, I ask for every business represented, every idea, every invention represented by those who are standing right now. And I say 30, 60, 100-fold fruit. 30, 60, 100-fold fruit. I prophesy that what you've made in a year will begin what you make in a month. God, let it multiply. Let it double. Let finances flow. God, let every stoppage, every dam in the water be broken right now in the name of Jesus. I ask for open doors to come to every single business represented here. Open doors. Open doors. God, close every door that you needs to be closed and open up doors that no man can shut. In the name of Jesus, God, anointed business men and women. God, we need this desperately in our day. Desperately in our day. God, we thank you for the church, the ministry of of everything that exists inside of a church, but God, I thank you for business that goes out into the world, that money exchanges hands. God, we ask for greater increase, even upon this congregation, those who are standing, who, who, um, who go to this congregation, God, let it be said that they have so many wealthy businessmen who attend there. What in the world is going on? It's because there's a yes. There's simply a yes. Six and seven figures it will be. Checks that will come, I will receive to fund kingdom culture. Six and seven figures it will be. Checks that will come, I will receive to fund kingdom culture in every single industry, in the schools, in the political realm, through arts and entertainment. Release your anointing upon these ones in Jesus' name.
I want us to stand for a second. How many receive these words? Come on, how many receive these words? Justin, man, thank you. Thank you, thank you, Justin. So prophetic, but I want to say this uh, in closing because I feel I felt this phrase in my heart while Justin. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.